0: psalm 46 one 11 god is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountain fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god the holy place where the most high dwells He burns the shields with fire. He says, "Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress." This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, it's our joy and a uh, privilege uh, to have Pastor Vindone uh, with us, uh, who's the young adults pastor at Northview Community Church out in Abbotsford. Just a little bit about him. Uh, you. Might recognize him because he has spoken uh, at our church. Vin, Vin was born and raised in Sydney, Australia, and him and his wife, Laura, have two young daughters, uh, Grace and Aubrey. Uh, they were living and serving in Village Church Calgary for a few years uh, before lo- uh, moving to the lower mainland and serving where they're serving now. And some of you, especially our youth, uh, might remember Vin as he spoke at our youth camp a few years back. I can't remember. It seems like ages ago now. Uh, that we had been speak at the camp but he was also the main talk speaker for winter conference uh, that was also two years ago the last time we were able to meet together Winter conference in 2019 uh, and he is continuing on uh, for our sermon series faith in life uh, why we believe what we believe and today uh through the sermon he's going to address um the, the topic and the questions of like why there's so many rules in, in christianity and what gives you the right to tell me how to live and he's titling the sermon, Trust is All You Need, from Psalm 46, 1 to 11. So please join me in giving a very warm LLC virtual welcome to Pastor Vin Doan. Send out emojis, clap your hands. I'm not sure what you want to do. Uh, but welcome, Vin. It's good to have you.
2: Thanks, Doug. Um, everyone can hear me, right? Yeah? We're good. All right. Good. Um, so for those who have never heard me preach or share or talk, whatever it is, and those for those who have um, you're going to find out that, yeah, you're going to need your Bibles and, and you're going to need to s- stay there, okay? So I'm going to go through it. I won't go through it sort of verse by verse, but quite I'll be quite as thorough as I sort of can be with the time you know given to us. But uh, I wish I could be there uh, with you guys, honestly. Um, and look, let's just be thankful we're finally in the same province, okay? Because I'm here now. The past is behind me. That, that, that sinful nature, whatever you want to call it, Calgary, Alberta, whatever, it's, it's done, the snow. Ugh. Ugh. And now I'm just dealing with rain. It's just rain. That's all it is. Oh, my goodness. Someone get me a raincoat anyway. <laughs> wow. That's enough complaining for me. I am so thankful to be here. So Psalm 46, and hey, let's start there. So part of the things I want to uh, sort of dive through, and I hope leaders, if you guys are paying attention, there's, there's questions I will sort of address very lightly, but then I'm hoping maybe through the week, through whatever it is, your life groups, community groups, whatever you guys, small groups, Bible study groups, whatever you guys title them as, that you guys even dig deep, okay? Because I can only go so far. It's, it's when you guys are having this discipleship, discipleship culture of walking alongside each other, you guys will go even deeper than that. Okay. So I'll sort of open that Pandora's box, but then it's your job to go even further than that. Okay. So I'll address a few things, do my best with uh, the scripture, and then leave it there. So basically, one of the things I really want to address is what gives sort of God the right to then tell us what to do, or what gives anybody the right to tell us what to do, including me right here, right now. Okay. So that's how I'll, I'll address it. But let me start off by sharing with you uh, uh, something uh, fascinating about my own uh, marriage. So I'm married to Laura. We've been married, how long has it been? I don't even know. Uh, I think eight, nine years. I recently forgot my wedding anniversary, just so you know. I had to call my wife because someone asked me that, and I called my wife asking when's my anniversary. She just gave me, um, it was a FaceTime call, so she, she did an actual emoji of putting her, slapping her um, palm to her forehead and she says it's 420. I was like, oh, yeah, how can I not, you know? That's a reason to get high, but I wouldn't. But there's a reason. Anyway, so this is what happens. Every now and then, my wonderful wife, in our years of marriage, we, she, will, she will randomly call me just to see how I'm doing and, you know, just to see where I am. In particular, she wants to know where I am or possibly, you know, who I'm with because because I, I have a lot of meetings or whatever it is. And she, almost every day, she'll call me, maybe multiple times a day. Listen, I know it sounds romantic, but it's not. Here's the reason why my wife calls me. And I don't even know. I'm, and she does it every day, and I'm still unaware of it. So she'll call, she'll ask me where I, where I am and who I'm with. What you have to know is she has that Find My iPhone app. And so I've given her permission to find out exactly where I am. So when she calls me and, and she asks where I am and I tell her where I am, she goes, yeah, you're right. That's exactly where you are. i was like, what are you talking about? She goes, yeah, I'm looking at the iPhone app. You are where you say you are. Oh, so there's no romance in my marriage. That's just how we roll. Now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because after sort of like, after all these years of marriage, um, Laura and I can laugh at it. You know why we can laugh at it? Because our, our relationship it, 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 it's it's different. There's a sense of depth of it. There's a sense of love love to it. There's commitment to it. There's trust in it. You know what I mean? Like we we've 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 been through a lot together. There's depth to it. But but you know if if I was single, if we were if not that, we were single, but even if Laura and I were dating and that was how our relationship was sort of structured and based, it wouldn't last that long, correct? That if she was constantly calling me and saying, hey, where are you? Who are you with? You know what I mean? I'm checking up on you on my iPhone app. Dude, that, uh, maybe, for some, maybe for some of you guys, you guys like that? I don't like that. I'm an individual. I'm a free spirit, not, any long, no, not anymore, but when I was, my goodness, man, that would not fly in, in my world. And so, but because of what we've gone through is different now, but yet, you know, when it comes to this idea of, of who gives us the right or who has the right to tell us what to do, it's really based on a couple of things. And I'm sort of, you know, in the beginning, I'm sort of answering for that. I'm answering that question for us right at the top, but I'm going to try to go down the rabbit hole to see what that actually means. Okay. So I sort of give you the answer. You can sort of see it but it will go even deeper than that. Um, so so who, who do I put my trust in? Okay, that's going to matter. And whether you like it or not, we all do. And I'll sort of prove that to us as we sort of go on. Okay, so if you look at Psalm 46, um, what you're going to find is, um, it's, it's set up into three um, stanzas, okay, three sections almost, or three paragraphs, whatever you want to call it. But it's like, a, uh, it's like a song. So it's set up into sort of, yeah, three parts, okay? So the first part is one to three, second part or stanza two is four to seven, and stanza three is eight to 11, okay? So you can see it in sections. So we're going to go through it in those sections, in the three stanzas. But a bit of a background for, for Psalm 46 is that Psalm 46 is a psalm of trust, not just any type of trust, but a very particular type of trust is that it's, a, it's, it's in the face of sort of an o- overwhelming threat, okay? That's the sort of the context of this psalm. Um, the, we, we're not actually sure what the threat is. The psalm doesn't tell us. It could be from verse 6, maybe, but we're not sure. Of The threat could be from sort of pagan nations, nations that are, were outside of Israel, outside of the, the Jewish nation. It could be, but we're not exactly sure. So let's go to stanza 1. If you look at stanza 1, in, very, in verse 1, we're told that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You know, the translation may be a little bit different, but ultimately it's the same. Okay, so here the psalmist is reminding us that um, uh, for the readers, uh, uh, you know, for the readers of that time, but also for us, the, here's the idea. the idea. The idea is that that God Himself is our refuge. Basically, this idea of God Himself is a place, or almost even a physical place, but a spiritual place, or even a person that is our safe space. Or place okay so um, picture it this way picture it as if um, you're getting chased by a bully okay high school bully whatever it is and then you get to the embrace or you see the person that's your friend your dear loved one a parent a big brother a big sister okay and you finally get to that person what happens you feel safe that place that person a house whatever it is you're safe now police, whatever it is. That's the idea that the author is trying to give you. That this idea of a bully coming after you and then you get to your safe place, space or person. Okay? And what does that do? It calms you. You feel safe. You feel secure. You're not as scared of the bully anymore. And then he's also your strength. So you've got one part where he's your refuge, but he's also a strength. Okay? And this is what he means. Strength here does not only mean this idea of a young man's physical strength, okay? It's not just that. It is a part of that, but it's not fully that. So think of a young man's strength, but think of a middle man, like a middle-aged man's strength, and what that means, the concept behind that is a middle-aged man, let's say a man like, you know, like Pastor Doug, you know what I mean? Uh, in the middle of like a job, uh, kids. Are you a middle-aged man? I don't even know, bro. I'm just, I'm just shooting it out there. You're middle-aged. And so, but the concept is uh, he's got a job. He's got a full-time job, his wife, his kids, work, church. You know what I mean? In the midst of all that, you know, all that chaos, there, there is a sense of strength, this inner strength within him. Does that make sense? That, that he's able to juggle all those things in life where a young man with his physical strength might, be able to, might not be able to do that. But a, a middle-aged man is more likely to do that, not just because he's forced into that, but you know, he, he's, he's, gone, he's gone past those days of a young man just wanting to be able to do whatever he wants. Okay? That's the idea. So you've got the young, the young man, the middle-aged man, but then you also have the old man's strength, which is what? Which is the strength of um, wisdom of life. He's been through all that. He's wise, you know. Who do you go to for wisdom? You go to old people. Okay, that do you understand? So you got you got that idea of this that, that age, age old man stroking his beard, and whatever it is, you know, giving you a tips on on life and raising children and and all that. That's it. So you got physical strength. You got the strength of that middle old middle aged man, like just doing whatever, everything, juggling life, and you got the old man. And just giving you these words of wisdom and experience. That's what it means by strength. So God is your refuge, the safe place, person, that that, that covers all bases of your safety, physical, mental, emotional. But then he's your strength. From physical to, to, you know what I mean, to juggling the, the, the chaos of life, but then also the wisdom for life. So is this is beautiful image that the psalmist gives us of who God is. And even though there's many other characteristics of who God is, this is the image he's trying to, trying to bring forth to you right here, right now, especially in relation to, in relation to danger. Okay? And this is a very important concept to the psalm, but this is a very important concept to even the question of what gives God the right to even say anything uh, to me, okay? So then, you know, very, and this is only our first sentence, okay? The very second sentence in verse 1 is then he's also a very present help in trouble. Okay, I want to move, I will try to move quickly, you know what I mean? We've only gone through verse 1, and none of in verse 1 yet. But this will sort of get me down the rabbit hole as far as I can. So he uses the word present, and so the idea The idea, you know, when when I look at the word present, the idea seems very sort of unattainable. And this is what I mean, unattainable. Especially for those who who maybe you don't call yourselves Christian or or, or non-followers of of Jesus or those who claim to be followers of Jesus, but you're really not. Okay, Whether you like to hear that or not, it doesn't matter. And here's what I mean. The reason why this, this idea of God being present and see, it seems unattainable is because for many of us, God feels really distant. Like wherever He is, wherever He claims that He's at, it's so far. He's unreachable, He's untouchable, He's unapproachable, He's distant. It's like He's created the world and just left us here on our own, on our own accord. And yet, the psalmist has said, He's present, a very help in this midst of trouble that we're in. Okay. Now, the Hebrew word translated here for uh, present, the translation is can be found when you need it. Okay. That's the proper phrasing of it. Can be found when you need it. This is what the psalmist, I believe, means when he says that term. So think of it this way. If you're feeling peckish or a little bit hungry, you don't want a big full meal, but you're, just, you're feeling a little bit peckish. Um, you know exactly where to go, to go get a snack, okay? Even if you've broken into someone's house because you're a thief, you know where to go. You know where to go? You go to the pantry. That's where you go. You know exactly, especially in North American houses, If you've broken in someone's house, if you're if you're in your own house or whatever it is, you go to the pantry because at least you know there's snacks in there, okay? And so that's the idea. The idea is this: the terminology of him using a, a very present help is a there's there's a verb component to it, okay? It's proactive. It's not passive. He's not saying if you're a little bit hungry and peckish that you sit there on the couch and then God, the creator of the heavens and earth, comes and serves you the food that you want for nourishment. That's not the idea. Though he is present, though he is a refuge, though he is a strength, you have to go to him. There's a proactive component. Can he? Can he? at times, come to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in regards to faith and salvation, he has to go to you. But that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about you in danger and yet us just sitting there and doing nothing about it, okay? And there's danger. So he's saying, be proactive, come before me in prayer, come before me in word, come before me in in community, come before me in all those things. Be proactive, but if you don't, if you don't, and you just sit there and you cry out to the Lord and he doesn't come for you, that's why he feels so distant to you. And you'll keep crying and he'll keep feeling distant and you'll keep being hungry because you won't get up there and go to the pantry. So God has a refuge, a strength, a very present help in danger. He's right there for you. He can be found. He promises that. And so be proactive about going for him, searching for him, crying out to him, okay? So think about it this way. Um, my brother and sister-in-law um, have have a have a dog named joey i don't know anything about dogs i i i don't think i ever will own one my my daughters want a dog and so you know we'll have those conversations but i'm willing to break their hearts about a dog it doesn't bother me um but they love playing with joey that's my brother and sister-in-law's dog when we get to see them when we're out in calgary and so they love joey joey's is very small dog it's a mix of whatever and whatever i don't know and so um, it's a cute, don't get me wrong. It's a cute dog, It's nice and furry and fluffy. And, but Joey's a very typical small dog. You know what typical small dogs do? They bark a lot and they want to act like they're tough, right? But you take Joey out to a local park where there's a bigger dog and strangers and people, what does Joey do? He'll bark more, but once that big dog or that stranger comes towards Joey, Joey what does Joey do? He runs between our legs, right? He's just, he's just this, there's a big bark, but there's no bite. There's, there's nothing. He's useless. And so just like Joey, the psalmist knows best, the best place and the best person in times of trouble, the safe place that you need to go to. So according to the psalmist, the best place that you need to go to is God himself, Okay. He's the place like you as a small dog need to run to, the place that you love and trust the most. Okay, and let's, let's get to it. So why is it that God should be the place that you should trust, that you should run to refuge, that you should allow him to speak into your life? Okay, so that's sort of the next part I want to get to. Um, like most men, uh, let's talk about the dating world. Like like most men, tips. If you're if you're a single man, here's, here's a tip. Um, when you're dating a woman, and you love this woman, you want to marry him, but it, you know, but you're only in the dating stage. One of the tricks that you need to do, young men, is that you need to you need to stuck in your gut. Don't 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 leave it out there hanging for her her to look at. It's 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 not attractive. Unless you're very confident in that, you go right ahead, okay? But if, if no one wants to date you, okay, then don't, don't question it. But anyway, that's besides the point. But you know what happens? Once the, the, once the relationship gets um, you know it gets deeper and you've been in a relationship for a very long time or, or you're starting to feel a bit more secure or now the ring is on her finger, you know what happens? Once that ring is on there, you start to loosen up your pants. Now you're starting to go on on dates with your sweatpants on, right? And the t-shirt with the stain on it, with the ketchup stain on it, because you don't care anymore. You're just, you're just hanging out now. It doesn't even matter anymore. See, here's the thing. The reason why I bring up this analogy is that lovers, lovers give up their freedom to be in a relationship. Did you hear me? Lovers give up their freedom to be in a relationship. Why? As the relationship deepens and strengthens, and the ring is on the finger, or all those you know, analogies, you have to understand that you are most free and secure in a restricted relationship. You are most free and secure in a restricted relationship, right? You're not more free when everyone's free. No, that causes more insecurity. If you date a girl that says, hey, I'm free, you're free to date and, and marry whoever we want and sleep with whoever you want. Does that feel secure to you? It's no, that's the opposite of security. And so, let me give you also a now um, sort of a, you know, a, a world view now, our Western view on freedom. There's two major concepts. The first is this on freedom, because it fights off everything. The analogy I gave you about two people dating and, and, and prolonging that relationship and it deepens. And I said, because of, because of that, that security, in a sense, you're more free. Because of that restriction, you're more free, correct? But the worldview of freedom, there's two parts to it. The first part is this. The world will tell you that true freedom is the freedom to create your own meaning and purpose. Okay? That's a worldview. It's wrong. And let me tell you why it's wrong. First of all, I'll give you another, another analogy. Think about uh, a scuba diver. He's um, swimming there in the ocean, right? He's free in the ocean, is he not? He can, he's free to do whatever he wants, swim wherever it was and, and go as, almost as deep as he wants in whatever it is. But think about how he's free. He's free for a certain restriction. What's the restriction? Well, he has to wear a wetsuit. He has to have an oxygen, oxygen tank. He has to have, you know what I mean? The goggles and all those things. He has to have all those things, the flippers, whatever. He's restricted. But within the restriction, he is actually quite free. So there are restrictions in life that actually cause more freedom, not less. There's certain rules you've got to follow. And even for him as a scuba diver, there's even, there's even natural rules that he can't break, which is there's certain depths he can't get to, or else what happens? He dies if he wants to experience and create his own freedom under the water, correct? Go, go ahead without the oxygen tank and blah, blah, blah. blah. You're going to die. So that's the first part of it. So, And for those who claim that that no one has a right to, to tell me what to do, here's my pushback. My pushback to you is that no one has a right to tell you what to do is then you do not know how a human heart works. You don't know how it works. Okay? Let me explain that to you. Whether you like to hear this or not, the truth is this. Every human heart is obeying a voice. Every single human heart. Let me prove it to you. Whether you think it's your voice or not, or this individual freedom-free choice that you've made, think about your view of money, sex, job, security, all that, partner, whatever it is. Think about, and maybe this is a question for your small group, Bible study group, life group, whatever it is. Think about how you came to that decision or why you think this is the thing that I want for my life? How did I come to the conclusion that money was gonna be the ultimate security in my life? How did I get to the conclusion that sex was the ultimate euphoric experience of life? And now our culture has gone to the point where, yes, yeah, sex is the ultimate thing. It's the ultimate pleasure. Nothing beats that. To your job and your security that if I have this job, if I live here, If I have these friends, if I have this degree, then I. who told you that? Was that you with your individual free choice? No, dive deep. The truth is our culture has told us that. Someone else has told us that. Not you, the individual free individual that you claim to be. No. And you know why we're so susceptible to those those things? Because our hearts long for those things. We long for those, our our, our hearts have those questions and demand those answers. And if you don't get it from God, you're going to get it from somewhere else. That's why you are where you are. So the heart wants a voice to tell it what to do. Okay? And so... The second, part, the second part I'll talk about when it comes to freedom, the part of the Western you know, view, cultural view on freedom is this, is also, so you've got the first part, which was, you know, freedom is something you get to create, you know, your own meaning and purpose. But the second part is freedom is usually just, it's, it, there's, there's almost a negative connotation to it, is there not? And this is what it means. This is what I mean by it. There's a negative connotation because we talk about, Um, it's 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 a loss of something like we 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 frame it in the terminology i i am free from drugs or i am free from depression does it make sense so it's an escape or 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 it's a loss of something but we don't talk about as a gain of something correct it's just that we've escaped something but that's it that's the end of it but the Christian worldview, the Christian view on life and on the heart and on freedom is that the Christian view is it's not just a loss of something, but it's, it, it's, t- it's going to something. You gain something. And what do you gain? The Christian worldview is then you gain Christ. You gain, you gain the voice that the heart has always longed to listen to, That's freedom in Christ. So when the Bible continuously, especially in the New Testament, talks about freedom, you know, in Christ, that's what it's saying. You're no longer free in you, you're free in him, and he speaks to your heart and he gives you the ultimate things that your heart has always wanted and desired. We'll sort of jump jump very far into verse 9, but I'll go back to a couple of verses and a couple of words and, and, and phrasing. So if you look at verse nine, it talks about um, there's a couple of words that it uses of uh, bows and chariots. Okay, bows and chariots. If you circle, underline it. and if you write notes on the side, this is what he's trying to say. So if, what you have to remember in the time when this was written in verse, you know, or in Psalm 46, in the time when this was written, um, bows and chariots were the things that people trusted in. Right, that was the things that you could conquer nations. You would show, and that that's how you would flex and show the nations that you were the most powerful, whatever it is, So bows and chariots and armies. And they also, but they also believed, you know, that through violence, that they were were able to get their way, okay? We might not use chariots and bows. And we might not use violence the way they, especially in the Western culture, we might not use violence... You know, especially when it talks about the, the nations will totter and, and, and all that and fight and all that, um, we might not do the same thing. It's frowned upon in Western culture to get into wars. So my question for us is then, um, what, what do we use, what do we use uh, when it comes to violence to get our way? Well, let me tell you, it's social media, is it not? We use our words to cause violence to get our way. That's our platform. So so this idea of Israel or these older generations that we think we're better than because we're more civilized, we're in the 21st century that oh that's so they're so prehistoric with their bows and chariots and they trusted that. No, we trust in ourselves. We trust in social media to get our way and what we want. If if someone disagrees with even the church now we we're, we're We disagree about COVID restrictions. We disagree wholeheartedly. And we will will use our own words to even attack each other. Oh, because this church did this. They're the most ungodly, unchristian, not like Jesus, but, but we on this side, we are, we're most Christian, please. So we still trust in our weapons. And yet the scripture is telling us we trust. No, wait, 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 hold on a second. Even this passage is telling, no, trusting God, not in your weapons. So be very careful. Quickly, they're moving to verse 10, the most famous passage, 46, verse 10. It's the most famous one. It's the one that most everyone quotes, but quotes without its context. But it says in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Okay, it's a very, very famous one. And so, um, verse 10, this is what it's saying. So the word still. It's the Hebrew word and idea of to, if you keep trusting your, if if you're trusting your weapons, if you're attacking and you're fighting and doing all these things, um, he's telling you to cease and desist. That's the translation for the word still, be still. So it's not literally saying, be still, don't move. He's saying cease and desist. The imagery he's trying to give you is this. It's as if... Two young children are, are in a room fighting over one toy. And you, the parent, walk into that room and say, hey, stop. It's one thing to just put the toy down and look at each other, and that's, that's the end of it. That's, not, that's only half of the idea of the word be still. The, this, the other half of the word is children, put, the, put that weapon down, that toy that you think is the most essential to your life, But now turn to the one that has walked into the room and has told you to stop. That's the idea. So let go of that freedom. Now turn to the ultimate freedom, which is me, who's setting you free with this restriction of walking to the room. That's what he's saying. Okay? And so once you sort of, once you cease and let go of your sort of frantic activity to your weapons of choice, only then can you begin to experience God acting for you, okay? And then the word no. So be still, so cease and desist, and now no, okay? So what no? So it's the turning, looking at the person who's walked into the room to stop me from fighting and no. Um, You know, the 16th century uh, playwright William Shakespeare, he wrote a play, uh, I believe it's got Richard... Uh, Richard III, you might not know the play itself, but you should maybe, through English literature, uh, at least be familiar with the very first line of the play, at least the very first line. The first line is this, now, and thanks to my Australian accent, this might be accurate to William Shakespeare's time, who knows. Um, But the term goes, now is the winter of our discontent. Okay, now is the winter of our discontent. The translation for modern English would be, okay, now, uh, life now is miserable. That's what he's saying, okay? The funny thing is not, no one knows what the second sentence is of this play. Everyone knows the first line. Now is the winter of our discontent. But what's the second line? Here's the second line. The second line is made glorious summer by this son of York, Okay? made glorious summer by this son of York. This is the translation in the modern English. But tomorrow we will be better, okay? That's what it's saying. So why do I bring that up? Um, look, I'm like, I'm like every single one of you. Uh, um, you know what I mean? Like I, I put on my pants one leg at a time, okay? I'm no better than you. I'm just like you. I struggle with the every day. I'm struggling figuring out when, you know, sort of COVID ends. I want sort of things to move forward. Um, I want to move on to the next best thing in my life, whatever that may be and whatever challenge. But that's what my heart wants and that's what I want. But the truth is, you know, God continues to call us to cease and desist for me to put my weapons down, to not trust in those things and to trust in him and, and to dive deep and get to know him because knowing that um, he's the one that my heart truly longs for and what my heart needs and, and the voice that my heart can trust, knowing that it has, it's, he has the best intentions for me, even with these so-called restrictions or rules that we talk about in the Bible. But if we live in these rules... He's saying, You will have the best life, the most secure life, the most peaceful life, the most loving life. And that's what I want for you. But yet our hearts fight back, thinking, I, I, Jesus, I get that. But I still know better than you. And that's why we are where we're at still, even at this time. So I'm encouraging us as a church hey, be still. Cease, desist, and come to know the one who has called you, the one who has come to save you. And so in this moment, right now, in the most difficult of moments, he's calling you. Um, so let me conclude with this, okay? So we're getting to a conclusion now. As I told you about um, Joey, my brother and sister-in-law's dog, um, You need to stop barking as if you're this big dog, as if you're this big Rottweiler, you know. But you need to acknowledge in the midst of this crazy world, this overwhelming world, world, that your heart is actually more confused than ever before. Okay? You have to admit that, as I will admit. It's more confused. And this is why we're going to run to the saviour and enjoy him forever. If you look at verses two and three, there's three main words I would love for you to highlight, circle, underline in verses two and three. And the words are earth, mountains, and waters. The reason why I bring that up, if you look at the phrasing and the sentencing of, of verses two and three and why he brings up these words is he uses these three images to show you that these very, very stable images, stable like the earth, it's stable. You can't move it. You can't do anything about it. The mountains, you can't move it. You can't do anything about it. The waters, you can't move it. You can't do anything about it. They're stable. You look at them as that, you know what I mean? There's, there's a, that's a stable image in my life. The psalmist is saying Jesus is more stable than the things you deem stable. That's the imagery he's trying to give you. Okay. That's a beautiful image. The things that you trust in, what he's saying is the very things that you're, he's saying that you trust in is still not trustworthy compared to him. That's what he's saying. That's brilliant. Because even in the midst of COVID, it has, if anything, that this thing has taught, this has probably taught us a lot of things, but one of the things it should keep telling, telling us is that if you trusted, it has proved that we've trusted in our stable life, have we not? We trusted that our life was just going to keep going as normal. And COVID has come in and God has used COVID to come and say, oh, the things that you deemed stable are not stable anymore. And now our whole world is shaken. And this is part of the reason why our hearts are so troubled and unsettled because even as Christians, we're still trusting in everything else besides Jesus, and in verse 8, that's where I'll end because that's the, that's the end of, the st- of stanza 3, and that's what he wants you to do. So as, as he works from verse 8 all the way down to the end, to verse 11, the first, very first premise is what? He's telling you, think about, oh, come and behold the works of the Lord. That's the first premise in stanza 3, verse 8. Come and behold and magnify the works of the Lord. Through what God has done, through his life, death, and resurrection, he has shown us how much he loves us. So it goes back to the very question of, okay, our hearts are longing for a voice that would speak to us. So if our hearts continue to trust the world to define what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, our hearts will continue to be broken. And the reason why you can trust in God is because in any good relationship, any good Loving relationship. You want restrictions. You want a good voice. And so God is the safest, best voice for you, for your hearts. And He proves that by His death and resurrection. So it's His voice, and His is the voice that we should listen to because it's the voice that loves and cares for us most. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so uh, thankful that you continually speak to our heads and our hearts. It's the thing that we need most. And Jesus, maybe I speak on behalf of some who are listening and we come before you in repentance or, in other words, we come to you sorry. We're sorry because... We've been trying really hard. And we've tried with all our hearts and all our strength and all our might and all our mind to do things outside of you. We've tried to comfort ourselves with things, with people, with stuff, with life, with the things that we deem as stable. We've even convinced ourselves that we know best. We've even convinced ourselves that we've Cleverly defined for ourselves what's best for ourselves. And we're so far from the truth. So, Jesus, expose our hearts. Help us to clearly know that we've deceived ourselves and the world has deceived us. So, Jesus, we come before you. Would you recapture our hearts? Would we be proactive in pursuing you? knowing that it's still your work to save us. It is still your work to reveal to us. It is still your work to answer all, you know, all the questions that our hearts desire. So Jesus, by your grace and by your mercy, would you save us, our heads and our hearts and our physical bodies as well. So Jesus, we thank you for the cross we thank you for the resurrection and we we're going to be thankful for your return Uh, bless us this day Um, help us to enjoy the sunshine and anything else that we can, knowing that you're